I have no notes this morning, which might frighten some of you, but I promise I'm going to try to keep this shorter. I spoke too long last week, and I want to get straight to a point here. Um, and I, I have no notes because I just I want to kind of even more than usual talk to you pastorally. I understand that, like I said, these words, these, these themes uh, are very difficult for many of us to hear and think about and talk about. Um, and I think Paul understands that too. Let me remind you of who the Ephesians are. The Ephesians, uh, Ephesus, was the home of the temple of Artemis, the goddess, uh, who was supposedly the daughter of Zeus, twin sister of Apollo, you know, the mother of all the gods kind of thing. She was a fertility goddess. Um, The temple they built for her was one of the wonders, seven wonders of the ancient world. It was massive. And uh, in this city of 250,000, they were obsessed with her. Now, she was the goddess of fertility. They have found um, statues and even smaller um, carvings of her. Uh, and if, if you look her up, Artemis, also the Romans called her Diana, uh, interesting-looking gal. Uh, she was multi-breasted. Um, and kind of also looked wolfish. Uh, she was the goddess of hunting and fertility and motherhood. Okay. Well, in those days, uh, any, any cult or, or religion that had to do with the fertility gods involved uh, temple prostitutes. And I'm trying to be um, sensitive to the young in our room here. And so you can imagine that worship at those temples involved um, sexual activity. That was worship. Because if you wanted the goddess of fertility to bless your crops and to bless your family uh, with fertility, then strangely enough, they thought that they would enact fertility actions in front of the goddess, okay? This is what assures you that this was a man-made religion. Only men would come up with this. Um, So the people in the church in Ephesus, the people sitting in these house churches hearing Paul's letter read to them, some of them very well were, were... people who participated in temple prostitution, who this was just a part of their life. Some of them could have even been some of the temple prostitutes themselves who have come to know Jesus. And they're sitting, hearing more about him. But what I'm trying to tell you is that some of these folks, and even if they, even if any of these folks were not necessarily involved in the activities that happened at the temple in that way. Their whole culture accepted it. It was just normal 
It was embedded in who they are. So much so that Paul tells us, or Luke tells us in Acts, that when Paul was there, uh, 25,000 people gathered in a stadium in Ephesus and shouted for two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So they worshipped her. So this kind of um, sexual immorality was just a part of the culture. It was woven into everything. And not to mention that besides that, the Greek philosophers, some, uh, had this thing about your body and your spirit are two different things. The body, the material part, is really nothing. It's kind of worthless. So they twisted it to this, so it doesn't really matter what you do with your body. And what you do with your body doesn't really impact your soul or your spirit or whatever. And so they had all this stuff going around. Uh, If we think that our culture is overly sexualized, that culture, the Roman culture, uh, was, they had us beat. So these are the people that Paul is writing these words to. And so I I say that to say... um, God knows, God knows your brokenness. He knows my brokenness. He knows that some of it was not what you chose. Just like some of these, some of these folks in the churches in Ephesus. But he knows that some of it is what you chose. God knows. So I, I say that as we come into this because um, what I want to emphasize in this passage, I think all of the uh, commands about what to do and not do in this passage are pretty clear, and I don't want to spend time trying to explain them deeper. They're pretty clear, and they're convicting. But what I want to shine the spotlight on is uh, something else that Paul says here. Uh, beyond his do's and don'ts. It's really what underlies it, okay? One other thought. I'm not a counselor. So I'm not, this is not a therapy session. I'm not going to try to counsel you uh, in your sexual brokenness or give you tips on how to help somebody else with theirs. I'm a pastor. Paul's a pastor. What I want to emphasize is, is not how do, I, how do I heal from my brokenness, but what are the resources that I already have as I pursue healing in my sexual brokenness, okay? And, and I think that's what Paul wants us to see pretty quickly. And it's, look at verse 8. Paul says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Two thoughts. You are light in the Lord. And you are loved. You were darkness. And by that, he doesn't mean you just 
lived in a dark place with dark people in a dark culture, you were part of the darkness. But the emphasis here is on you were. That's not who you are anymore. It's not who you are anymore. You are light. You are light. How? You are light in the Lord Jesus. You are a new creation. Paul, when he's talking about light and dark here, um, as a good rabbi, uh, he is alluding to the very first words of the Old Testament, the very first words of the Bible. I'll remind you what they are. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. Paul is using creation language and creation imagery to remind us of what he's already told us in Ephesians, that we are new creations. We are new creations. We were darkness, but the Spirit of God hovered over our darkness. And God said, let there be light. And Jesus came as the light, and he lit us up. Paul says this again in 2 Corinthians 4. Verse 6, he says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, quoting Genesis 1, for God who said, let light shine out of of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So you once were darkness, and it was empty and void. But the spirit of Jesus hovered over you and showed you, took the blinders away from your eyes and showed you Jesus. And now you are light in the Lord. Paul has described that to us in Ephesians already, where in chapter 2 he said, you were dead in your sins, in your rebellion against God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loves us. Even though we were dead, made us alive together with Christ. So even though we were dead in our darkness, God loved us and made us alive and light in the Lord Jesus. Jesus on the cross absorbed all of that darkness and banished it with the light of his love and his grace, and his sacrifice for our sin. And when he rose from the dead, um, he was the first of the promised new heavens and new earth, the new creation that God was, had promised he would make. And in Jesus, we are now new creations. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation, The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. So friends, 
one resource that you and I have as we continue to fight uh, the, the draw to live in the darkness that we once were. One of the resources we have is we're new creations. We are light. We are united to Jesus. The power that we need to fight the fight of putting off our old sexual brokenness and putting on wholeness is ours. We have it. So pastorally, I just want to encourage you. Encourage those of you who are in that fight. And it is a brutal fight. I want to encourage you. You are light. You are not what you once were. You're a new creation. And the other thing I want to encourage you with is that you are loved. He goes on and calls us children of light. He says, walk as children of light. And that is to remind us again of what he's been saying all along. Uh, He said it in verses 1 and 2 right before this section. He said, your beloved children... Christ loved you and gave himself up for you, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Um, When God decided to make you his child and send his son to make it happen, to redeem you, to renew you, to make you his child, he already knew all all of your darkness. None of it surprises him. He loves you. So you're not only light, you're loved. And uh, look back at, uh, real quick, verses 5 and 6. Now these verses, some commentators believe, are Paul's, Paul's way of using some, using a little bit of motivation um, but, but the question is how. He says, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous or an idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Now, some commentators say, Paul's trying to use a little uh, holy fear, maybe, a holy reminder of, hey, hey, people who live this way and continue to live this way may not inherit the kingdom, and this is what causes the wrath of God to come on people. And um, perhaps he's doing that. But when I read the word inheritance and the phrase sons of disobedience, I immediately thought of what Paul has already said in chapters 1 and 2. Paul is saying, everyone who is sexually immoral, impure, covetous, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And I think this is another way of Paul saying, but that's not who you are. Because you do have an inheritance. 
Listen to chapter 1. Oh, there's so much of it in chapter 1, I can't even read it all, but, you know, you were adopted as sons through Jesus Christ, and he chose to do this before you even did all the impure things that you've done or will do. He says in verse 11 of chapter 1, In him, Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance. Then in verse 14, uh, 13 and 14, you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of your inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So Paul is writing to people who already have the inheritance in Jesus, who are already being, uh, whose inheritance is already being kept and protected by the Spirit who lives in them. So I take this as Paul saying, yeah, people who live that way show that they don't have an inheritance in the kingdom of God, but that's not you. You have that inheritance. Don't live that way because that's not who you are. That's not who you are. And then when he says, don't be deceived with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience, where did he use that sons of disobedience phrase? In chapter 2, when he said, We were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature, were by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, and then he goes into the glorious things that God has done for people dead in their sins. He's saying, you were sons of disobedience. You were children who deserved the wrath of God. But God made you alive together with him. He made you his sons and daughters. That's not who you are anymore. That's not who you are. Why, why is it a support and encouragement to Christians who are continuing to grow away from darkness and toward light in their, in, the, in their practice? Why is that an encouragement to us? Because there's something about looking bad in the presence of love that changes us. Um, I, I've said it before. Uh, Larry Crabb used to say that all the time. Nothing changes me like looking bad in the presence of love. And that's the gospel. For me to step into the light of the truth of Jesus and for him to expose that darkness that was there. Um, but to do it, in the presence of his love because he loves me. Well, that changes me. Um, so, that's all I have for you this morning, really, is just the encouragement that in your fight, and again, he's talking to Christians here, so they must be, they must be like us, continuing to fight the darkness to fight the, the draw to go back and to live in 
the sexual brokenness um, that was um, either done to them or that they chose. Um, and it is not a simple, quick change. It's a lifetime of change. But I think Paul is encouraging us, and I want to encourage you. You can continue in that process of being renewed in that area of your life. Because you're a new creation. You're light in the Lord. Because you're loved by him. He's not surprised by any of it. Not even your current struggle. So how do you respond? I, I, I would just invite you to step into the light. Step into the light and uh, let Jesus continue to shine <laughs> and expose, but he's doing it in the presence of his love. Um, and I'm not sure what that should look like for you, um, but I want to encourage you that if you're, if you're prone to, to shrink back from it and hide and say, I don't want to talk about it, I, I don't want to go there, um, take a step toward the light um, and let Jesus do the work of mending you and healing you and renewing you. Um, our, our church's motto is that we want to share in God's deep gladness in renewing all things. Friends, that's because we believe the Bible teaches that God, it makes him deeply glad to renew you and to renew me. And so I guess what I'm asking you to do is move toward renewal. <laughs> move toward letting him renew you in that area of your life if you're not already. And if you are, I'll keep going, keep going. And if you're, you say, well, I don't even know how to do that, um, I would love to help you. I'm not a counselor, but I'll find you one. Um, I'm a pastor and a brother. I'll encourage you in the fight, uh, and we'll, we'll help you find resources um, beyond that if you need them. Uh, women in the church, you don't have to come talk to me, but I would tell you if you do, I'll get you to another woman in this church who will uh, love you um, and care for you. Um, that, that's the goal. I'm, I'm not going to be your counselor, but I'll, I'll get you to a sister who will encourage you. We'll get you to uh, a counselor who will help you. You're loved. You're loved. So much more than you think you are. That's all I wanted to say. Father, help us. Mm. There's so much hope. There's so much hope that even in an area of our lives and the lives of those we love that we think this is brokenness beyond repair. 
It's not true. It's not true. There is hope because of you, Lord Jesus. And I pray that for any of my friends in this room who uh, are in that battle to, to be renewed, um, that you would encourage them this morning. You're light in the Lord, and you're deeply, dearly loved, no matter how bad the exposure feels. <laughs> you're deeply loved. God, would you help us, make us a church uh, like, like the church that Paul wanted the Ephesus church to be, a place where people can look bad in the presence of love and be renewed because that makes you glad. Let it make us glad too. In Christ's name I pray, amen.